Well, Jesus said that I will build my kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I love those words. I love that declaration by our Savior. We look back even just last week, 24 people came forward testifying and giving their life over to Jesus, saying, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Three people this morning baptized in the name of the Lord. I think we have over 50 people who have been baptized this year. We are blowing out walls. God is building his church. Amen? And we are people inside of a kingdom. We need to grow and make disciples of all nations. God says that we need to go and get out and get out past our walls to to share with the people who are our neighbors in our businesses, our friends, our family, about the good name of Jesus and what he has done. But when we go, when we step out, when we go past our doors, we are putting ourselves really out there and we may have to deal with difficult people. Today, the because you ask question is, how do you deal with difficult people? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. We need to understand that we will have run-ins with difficult people, whether that is in our family, in our church, in our businesses, our schools, or any place that you find people, there is a chance that you will have to deal with someone who is difficult. Now, it's very, it would be very easy for me to just give a list of things to do. Like, uh, if you're angry, uh, just wait 24 hours before you send an email and uh, uh, don't, don't lash back out in anger and, and just take a breath and, 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 and meditate. That will help if you're trying to deal with somebody. But I really want to take our time this morning. I really want to open God's word. And I want to I teach you a little bit about what the, what the word of God says about different types of people. The Bible actually shares there are different, there's actually three types of people found in the Bible. We have the wise, we have the foolish, and we have the evil. These three types of, uh, of people that are highlighted. And the issue when we look at, at the people that we're trying to deal with, remember, whether it's in our business or in our family or even in our church, the issue is not how intelligent or how educated someone is or whether they've committed sin, or they, they consistently make bad decisions. What, one of the things that we're looking for and what we're trying to figure out through the Word of God is what is their heart condition? What is their heart like? Wise people want to know the truth, learn from it, and become more godly. So we're trying to figure out, are we dealing with a wise person? A wise person wants to know the truth, learn from it, and become more godly. A foolish person wants to argue over the truth, not change, and they remain stuck. And an evil person hates the truth, refuses to change, and is out to cause harm to others. Now, I just want to just put a little, some rules in play here as we begin to talk about different types of people. We're going to talk about wise people, and we're going to talk about foolish people, and we're going to talk about evil people. But each of us, all of us, we all have areas of wisdom in our, in our lives and, and folly and evil. And there's always something to be working on by God's grace in our character. But it, it is prudent for us to know which of the three best describes us and then use those categories to help us understand the people that we are dealing with. This can give us discernment about who is willing to mutually work on a relationship and avoid those who are dangerous. And here's the thing I want to do this morning. I want to stress one thing when it comes to the Word of God. When we approach God's Word, we should be approaching God's Word with the intent to be changed by it, not to arm ourselves to call others out. We have many Christians, if you look on the internet, if you you just look around in this world, we have many Christians who know the Bible really well, and they know doctrine, and they know which Bible verse to, to really just come against another person, but sometimes those same people fail to apply even the basic of truth in their own life. So as we dive into the three categories today, I would ask us to allow the word to illuminate us and change us into the likeness of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we just need you today. God, we want to declare that you are building your church, and God, we are your people, and we want to be used by you. I pray, God, that you would fill us up in the power of the Holy Spirit today. God, I pray that you will illuminate every word that is said today so that we can put it into play and help build your kingdom with you. 
God, you don't need us, but you say you want us to help out. You say the harvest is plentiful. God, I pray that you would continue to, to rise up those workers to go out and to, and to, to gather, gather those who are, you are calling into your kingdom. So God, we need you today. We pray that you give us teachable hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we deal with difficult people, we have to try to discern what kind of heart we're dealing with. Does our spouse, family member, teacher, bus driver, do they have a wise heart? A wise person wants to know the truth. They want to learn from it, and they want to become more godly. Does our coworker, maybe a friend or a volunteer that we work with, stand beside when we're doing a job? Do they have a foolish heart? Foolish people want to argue over the truth, not change, and remain stuck. Or, do, or does the person that serves us coffee or that friend that we have on Facebook that just always wants to put that negative comment on our posts, do they have an evil intention, an evil heart? Do they hate the truth? Do they refuse to change? Do they cause pain and hurt to others? I was reading this book last week by Dr. Henry, Henry Cloud, and he wrote this book called Necessary Endings. He, said, he shares in this book that th- those are the three categories of behavior that you, will find, that you and yourself will find yourself dealing with in virtually any situation involving others. The three that I listed, the wise, the foolish, and the evil. He says, now here's the kicker of these three. In the three categories of people or behavior, uh, it's very different in what motivates them and sustains them. As a result, the way to get them to change are very different as well. Therefore, you have to realize that you cannot deal with everyone the same way. Different people in different categories require different strategies. If you try to deal with a foolish person the same way you would deal with a wise person, you would end up that they would end up driving you crazy. You would lose time, you would lose resources, and you would lose heart, and you would begin to give up on them. And if you deal with an evil person at all, you might lose your business or even lose your life. So it is essential that you understand very quickly who you are dealing with and then take the appropriate stance that will ensure you to create the necessary ending. The approach we use when dealing with difficult people is very important. I've been in ministry for 12 years, and before that I was a a restaurant manager at McDonald's for eight years, so I've been dealing with people for a long time. And the approach that we use is super important. How do you know who to let into your life? Which people will be very close friends? Who will be business partners? Who will you take advice from, do life with? And what happens if you try to do this with every person? Because there's some Christians that they just put on a smile and they just love everyone. And if you try to love everyone the same way and pull them in, it's not really going to work for you because not everyone has your best interest at heart and most people have their best interest at heart. So how do you know? Well, this morning I'd like to just go through a little exercise with you. Uh, We'll give us a little insight on how we can figure out what kind of heart we are dealing with. Ready? All right, we got one person ready on this side. Let's look at dealing with a wise person. Wise people learn from their own experience and the experience of others. These are the type of people that will watch a situation and they'll try to figure out what's, what's the good approach, the best approach, good, better, best. They'll, they'll, they don't necessarily have to make the mistake themselves, but they're always watching. They take what they've learned and they make it a part of themselves and they deliver results from that experience base. So wise people are always watching, always learning. They get up every day looking for an opportunity to be equipped a little bit better. When truth presents presents itself, the wise person sees the light, takes it in, and then makes adjustments to their own actions. So if they're in the wrong and they're, they're giving, the truth is given to them, they will take it in. They'll embrace it. They'll say, okay, I understand this, and I'm going to make the necessary adjustments in my life so that I will grow past this. Wisdom is the stance that people take wherein that they are open to hearing truth. So they're ready, they're willing, they're, they're easy to talk to. They're those, those people like if you're a leader or you're a business partner or if you're running an organization and you have someone in your, in your midst that has is, is made a mistake, you feel confident as a leader to go up to them and say, hey, uh, I noticed this, let's talk about this. 
Let's talk about this. And sometimes when it comes to conflict and comes to us talking to other people, we shy away from that. We don't want to talk to people. We don't want to have that hard conversation. We dread those moments that we have to meet with people. But when you have a wise person who is there and they're, you know that they want to listen, it's very easy. So wisdom is the stance that people take wherein that they are open to hearing truth. So when it comes, they listen to it. And they make necessary changes to align with that truth. Now, does the Bible have anything to say about wisdom? Well, it does. It has a lot to say about these three types of people. So I'll throw a couple verses your way. Just kind of throw this out there for you. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 18.15 says, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seek knowledge. And Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. All three of these amazing, uh, amazing scriptures are all based on listening and applying so if you're dealing with someone who has a wise heart, they're always listening and applying, and they're ready, they're ready to, to move to that next level. So as I was gathering some information, reading some books, looking at traits of wise people, I actually put some things together for us just to kind of talk about uh, or, or share with you. So I have some traits of some wise people. This is what you're looking for uh, as you're trying to develop what kind of heart you're talking to. Here are some of the things you should be looking for when dealing with a wise person. When you give them feedback, they embrace it positively. They say things like, thank you for telling me that. It helps me to know I've come across that way. I didn't know that, or I really took what you said to heart, and here's what I did. Or I really took what you said to heart, and, and here's what I did. Or thanks for caring enough to bring this to my attention. I needed to hear this. There's some sort of appreciation for the feedback as they see it as something of value. Even if it's hard to hear, you might hear them offer a response like, well, that was tough to hear. But it's good. It will help me even though it hurts. I want my kids to say that. <laughs> Sometimes I, I want them to get to that place. Sometimes I have to sit my kids down because most of them are bigger than me. So I'll sit down, son, I need to talk to you. I want them to get to the point where, Dad, that was a hard thing that you just told me, but I needed to hear that. So we're working on that as a family. But it's one of the characteristics or one of the traits to look for. They own their performance People with wise hearts own their performance, they own the problems and issues, and then they take responsibility for them without excuse or blame. In other words, they're accountable. Some of these traits are the things that we are trying to pour into our young men as we are growing them up. We're teaching them this stuff. Be accountable for your actions. Own things. Your relationship is strengthening as a result of them giving feedback. They thank you for it and see you as someone who cares enough about them to have a hard conversation with. They experience you as being there for their betterment. All of us should have some type of person in our life or a group of people that, that are really there, that just really want to pour into us, really just surround ourselves with. We kind of say in the church, they're our accountability group, but I think it's a little bit more than just accountability. It's people that are really looking at your life and examining it and wanting to move you to the next level in your growth with Christ. There are people that love you, they care for you, they want to walk beside you. Each of us should have those types of people in our life. They emphasize and express concern about the result of their behavior on others. If you tell them that, that, if you tell them that something they are doing hurts you, you get a response that shows it matters to them. Wow, I didn't realize I hurt you like that. It's something they would say. Or, I never would want to do that. I'm so sorry. Or, they are concerned about how their performance is, performance is affecting the company. I know that I'm making some mistakes right now. I need some correction. I need some grace. I don't want to let the company down. I don't want to let the ministry down. Uh, please help me so that I can move to the next level. Help me so this will not happen again. You're looking for these types of traits when you're dealing with someone with a wise heart. Someone, they, someone who says, or they show remorse. 
you get a feeling that they have a genuine concern about whatever the issue is, and they truly want to do better at it. Also, in a response to their feedback, they will go into a future-oriented problem-solving mode. I see this, how can I do better in the future? They do not allow problems that have been addressed to turn into patterns. They change. They adjust and they fix them. That doesn't mean that when you bring something to them, they fix it automatically. But over time, they put action plans in and they work on them. And you as a leader or as a coach or someone that is walking beside them, you can see that they are trying to make the adjustments to grow. Wise people likewise address their faults and you see changes in actions and behaviors instead of patterns that go unaffected by feedback. So what's the application when you're dealing with a wise person? So what should you do when you encounter, you have a difficult situation, you have a difficult uh, moment that's happening in a relationship, and you figure out, you know, or you're trying to figure out what kind of heart they are, and, and then they come to you, you go to them, and, and you figure out that they're a wise person. What should you do? Well, you should share. You should share what's going on. You should be honest. You can, you, sh- you can tell it right up. You don't have to sugarcoat it. You just come beside them and say, here, this is what's going on. You want to communicate, but you also want to equip. Because these people that are in your life or in your business or in your church um, who have this type of heart, you want to bring them. You want to pour into them. You want to equip them. You want to give them resources so that they can maximize their effort. We are doing this at Calvary right now. We are looking for those people that have a calling on their life to serve the kingdom, that are sold out, that love Jesus, that are accountable. They want to get to that next level, and we as a staff want to pour into them. That's why we have an intern program. That's why we have MAs. That's why we have uh, a past. We're, we're, we're ordaining pastors is because we are seeing the value of pouring into these hearts. We want to communicate with them. We want to love with them. We want to love on them, and we want to build them up. And all the people that we have in our ministries right now that we are pouring into, that we are, are training, they have this type of heart. They're moldable. So we're, we're pouring into them. We're giving them time. We're giving them love. And we want to see them grow in the likeness of Christ because they're going to be kingdom shakers. They're going to be harvest helpers. They're going to be people that are going to be in the church and outside the church. They're going to be talking to people in the community saying, do you know the love of Jesus Christ? And not only just that on, a, on an intern or an MA uh, point of view, we're doing that to all leaders in our church and all people who are part of God's kingdom. We want to say, hey, this is what we need to be doing. God says, go and make disciples. He said, I'm going to build my church, and you're a part of that, so I'm going to send you out. So we're looking for those people who have a sold-out wise heart so that we can continue to pour into them. We're looking for people who are teachable, accountable, and growing. We're looking for those who are accountable and are able to say, hey, I I messed up, but that's okay because mistakes are okay. It's okay to make a mistake as long as we're growing from it, as long as we're moving to the next level. There are also those who are able to say, hey, we need to slow down a little bit on this. One of my mentors continually says, hey, let's make sure that we're not running ahead of Jesus on this. Hey, let's get get the view right. Let's, Let's get the pace right. Like, I know you're excited, Nick. You had 14 Red Bulls this morning. <laughs> but let's not run ahead of Jesus on this. And I need that. I really need someone to reel me in. So I have mentors in my life like, hey, that's a great idea, but maybe not now. Okay? Let's just write that down in the book. Let's pray about that. Let's put a season of prayer into that. A little fasting, a little prayer. We'll reevaluate in a little bit. Because maybe that is a great idea. Maybe that's a kingdom-building moment for you. But that's not what we're doing right now. So let's just slow down. Let's just do it that way. And I need those people. I don't know about you, but some some leaders in our lives just say, hey, we need to slow down. You're going to hurt us on this. So that's dealing with a wise person. You find somebody in your life that is very difficult and you're figuring out they have a wise heart. Pour into them. Encourage them. Give them resources. Talk to them. Give them feedback. Push them to the next level. So that's the wise person. What about the foolish person? There are people that we're going to come up against, people that are, are in, our, in our lives that they, they're not wise. They don't have a, a, an accountability uh, area that they want to grow in. They, they, they're really, the Bible says, they're foolish. 
where the chief description of the wise person is that when the light shows up, he looks at it, he receives it, he joins it, and adjusts his behavior to align with it. But the fool does the opposite. He rejects feedback, he resists it, he explains it away, and does nothing to meet its requirements. In short, the fool tries to adjust the truth so he does not have to adjust to the issue. The fool tries to adjust the truth so he does not have to adjust to the issue. We see how the wise person adjusts to truth. In contrast, the fool adjusts the truth so he, ha- he can do nothing. He is never wrong. Someone else is. Have you ever had that person in your life? They are never wrong. They never are wrong. It's always you. Or if you have an issue, it's your issue. It's not my issue. Like, these people are so hard to deal with. So let's talk about that. The goal is to avoid ownership of the feedback, which would, cry, which would require them to take responsibility and change. So the foolish heart, this is one of the things you're looking for. They are they're trying to get out of the feedback. They're trying to get out of responsibility and change. Yet you go to them, you have a conversation with them, you present something to them, and they have an excuse, and they change it. So nothing actually on their side changes. You just had a conversation. You walk away thinking something is going to change, but nothing ever does change. The result is they constantly produce collateral damage for others. They do harm to the business. They do harm to the family. And everyone else feels the effect. But the foolish heart never takes responsibility. Now I had to ask my, myself, does the Bible say anything about fools? Yes, it does. Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Do you ever have a conversation with somebody and they're not really listening? They're just waiting for their turn to talk. Like, they're not even taking in anything. They're just like, "Mm mm-hmm, yes. But you know it's coming. As soon as you go for breath, they got an excuse. That's biblical. That's biblical. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 26, 19 says, The fool is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. I'm going to tell you something. I learned that this week. I didn't know that that quote was, or that scripture was in the Bible when I was doing the research. Because you hear people when you hurt somebody or you harm them, their response is, I was only joking. I was only kidding. That's actually from the Bible. Solomon, when he was writing, would see this with people. They would, they would say, well, I was only joking. I was only kidding. Can't you take a joke? And they don't take no responsibility for the harm they have done. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Dealing with someone with a foolish heart, when you come to bring correction or you come to bring an issue, they don't like that. They despise that. Here they come. What did I do this time? That type of attitude. And I don't know if you have dealt with people like that, but in, my, in the business side of my ministry, and sometimes in the church, a little bit, a little bit, a little couple times, you deal with people like that. And you need an approach. We'll get to that in a minute. Proverbs 10, 23 says, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. So, it's a joke. Everything is a joke. They turn everything into a joke. I've, had, I've dealt with some wives sometimes that they say, I'm trying to help my husband lead our family, but every, every time I say, hey, we should do this or we should do that, it's a joke. Everything turns into a joke, and I feel, feel like I can't talk to him anymore, and there's, there's a breakdown in the relationship. So doing wrong is like a joke to the fool. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. So we are going to come up with people like this in our lives. Whether they're in our school or even in our family, our business, these are kind of the places that I'm I'm just kind of leaning with. We're going to have these types of people. So what do you do? Or what should you look for is a better question. What should you look for when you're dealing with a person with a foolish heart? Well, I have a few traits here that I'd like to, to share. When given feedback, they are defensive and immediately come back to you with a reason why it's not their fault. So it's one thing you need to look at for. If they come back, right, it's not their fault, it's someone else's fault. 
When a mistake is pointed out, they externalize the mistake and then they blame someone else. Unlike the wise person with whom talking through issues strengthens your relationship, with the foolish person attempts, attempts to talk about the problem to create conflict, alienation, or a breach in the relationship. We see this, you come and I have to have a meeting with you. I have to talk to you about this situation, about this issue. And you go in and you present it, and at the end you think that, okay, we're going to resolve this, we're going to package this up in a bow, let's hug it out, let's pray it out. Let's high five it. Let's fist bump this out. You think you're going to walk away from the conversation on good terms, and you feel that way, but then when you leave, you find out later that there, there is a bigger gap in your relationship now. That you feel sometimes it's, uh, there's a breach or, or the conflict causes alienation. They only deal with that person when they have to. Sometimes they immediately shift the blame to you as they shoot the messenger approach and make it somehow your fault. Well, if you had given me more resources, or I have, could have got that, if, if you've given me more resources, I would have got that done better. But you cut my budget. How was I supposed to do it on this limited budget? Or that because you told me, uh, told me to make sure that I focus on that other project, I couldn't fully give my attention to this project. Or you never told me you wanted it that way. And the energy shifts and suddenly you and yourself are the object of the correction. Why didn't you do better for me and then I would have, been, would have done better for you? Another trait to look for is they often use minimalization. Trying in some way to convince you that it's really not that big of a deal. It's really not that bad. This really isn't a problem. It's just a quick fix. It's not a big deal. They can rationalize and give reasons why their performance was certainly under, under, understandable. It's okay. One of the things looking for when you're dealing with a foolish heart and a difficult person is they continually make excuses and they never take ownership of the issue. Their emotional response has nothing to do with remorse. Instead, they get angry at you for being on their case, attacking you with such lines as, uh, you think, uh, you never think I do anything right. Or I guess I can't do anything right, which is a cue for you to come in and rescue them and point out all the good things they are doing, which will shift the topic. They begin their responses with, well, you, and then get off topic to point out your flaws. They see themselves as a victim, and they see people who confront them as persecutors for pointing out the problem. They feel like, a, they feel like the moral superior victim and often need someone to rescue, rescue you rescue them, and they'll often go to other people and say, I can't believe they did this to me. I can't believe they did this to me. Just as the wise person does not necessarily mean smart or extremely gifted, foolish does not mean dumb or lacking talent. Ironically, when you look in the business world and you look in sometimes of these Fortune 500 companies and the people that you're dealing with, uh, not even those companies, but just anywheres, they're often the most gifted or charming people. Because, that, uh, because of that, fools often get a, keep us confused because of their many wonderful attributes. And our attraction to their talents and gifts keeps us hooked and makes, us di makes it difficult for us to give up on them. So we continue to try, thinking... That if we just have one more conversation, just one more chance, just one more time together, that it's going to fix the problem. And that's what we do. We continually go to them and say, okay, I've noticed this. Uh, let's talk about it. Okay, we, we, this is our third action plan, but we haven't, we haven't moved to the next level. But we, we believe in them. We, we want to we do our best for them. We want to continue to give them resources and want to give them opportunities to get to that next level the same way we would deal with the wise person. So we're continually having these conversations, but nothing is changing. Our attraction to their talents and gifts keeps us hooked, and it makes, us difficult to, it, makes it difficult to give up to them. So we continue to try, but that won't do the trick. But we get more of the same kind of behavior each time we try to solve a problem or give input coaching or correction. So what do we do? What do we do if you find out that you're dealing with a difficult person who has a foolish heart? Well, with wise people, you talk, you share, and that person makes the corrections. And with foolish people, you do this. You stop talking. You stop talking. 
You stop talking about the issues. Most of the time we give the person another chance. Maybe they'll change, but this time you know that the person will not change because they don't believe that they need to change. So what this person needs is not more talking about the, the corrections. They need consequences. Now here's where we get a little, a little nervous. We don't give consequences. We just give grace. Yes, we do. We give grace because we serve a God of grace. We look at the, as a leader or as someone who is walking beside other people, we look at every situation and we take it, we take it through the gospel lens. How can we move them closer to Christ? How can we make them know and understand the beauty of the kingdom? How can we do this? So as a leader, we go through grace, but sometimes our best effort for that person is not just talking but consequences. It's time to quit talking about the problem, and, and it's time to have a different type of conversation. See, the strategy for foolish people is simple. Quit talking about the problem and clearly communicate that because talking is not helping, you're going to take steps to protect what is important to you, the mission, or other people. Give limits that stop the collateral damage of their refusal to change, and where appropriate, give some consequences. I'll give you some examples, three examples. I'll give you a business, business example, I'll give you a, a family example, and I'll give you a social media example. Business example, You're, you got a guy working for you, he's got an issue, he's late, he's, I don't know, he's late with his deadline, uh, causes you to lose a big project, you go to him, Joe, I'm not against Joe's, I'm just using a name. So if you're Joe, I'm not talking to you. But Joe, we've talked a number of times about this issue, you make promises that you're going to change. We put in some action steps, but it's not working. So I'm going to have to remove, remove you from this position. Change the conversation, protect the people, protect the company. You first go and you have those conversations, and you put those action plans in, and you walk with them. But if you see the pattern is not changing, then you have to step in and do something to protect. Family. I'm going to use the name Cindy. I'm not against Cindy's. I love Cindy's. There's some Cindy's in our church that are awesome. Cindy, I told you I didn't want our children to watch R-rated movies when they come over to your house. My kids are terrified of clowns because of you. They cannot come to your house anymore and watch those movies. Change the conversation, protect the kids, limit the collateral damage. Social media. We all have friends on our social media. Friends, family, people from our work, different, they all have different types of lifestyles. And sometimes they want to include you, you in on their party, you in on their scene. You may not be, even be with them, but you get tagged or you get, you get copied into something that they're doing. And sometimes that causes other people to question your character. So you go to that friend and you say, hey, don't tag me in your pictures. You go to that, that, that person in, in, maybe in your family and say, hey, that was great, but send me a private message. They continue not to do that, so what do you do? Tom, I blocked your access to my Facebook account. I don't want to be tagged in your pictures, or I don't want to be tagged in these scenes. Change the conversation, protect your character, limit the access. Dealing with this type of person is very difficult. It's very difficult. We want to talk, we want to share, we want to communicate, and we want to spend years doing this. But once you change the conversation and the consequences begin to cost that person, things begin to change. I have an issue with your drinking. You say you're going to go to change. You've gone to a couple meetings, but you continue to do that. It's affecting our family. It's affecting our business. It's affecting our church. It's affecting our leadership. We have to do something about it. We have to step in. In 2002, I went to Salt Lake City as an ambassador for Canada for uh, leadership and training and development. I worked at McDonald's Canada, and I was working through some stores and building some, building some leaders up, and they recognized that I had leadership ability, and they began to pour into me, and over a course of two years, they were recognizing different traits in my life, and then I got 
this opportunity to go and represent Canada uh, as an ambassador for McDonald's. So I went to the Olympics in Salt Lake City. It was awesome. 21 years old. Get to jump on my plane, my first out-of-country trip. I get over there. I'm working with restaurant uh, leaders from all over the world. I was in a Big Mac making contest. It was hilarious. It was me, someone from Russia, and someone from Quebec, and we didn't speak the same language. One was French, one was Russian, and I was English, A, and we didn't know how to talk to each other, but because we knew how to work together, we knew how to make a Big Mac. It's the same across the board, doesn't matter where you're at, it's the same strategy to make a Big Mac. We actually won a competition. I actually got a gold medal. I'm not joking, it has a big Big Mac on it. I'll bring it in so you can see it. I forgot to bring it in today because I thought it would have been funny. But six months before uh, that promotion or that opportunity to go, I was dealing with a difficult person in one of my stores. We were co-leading a store. I was brought in to build up the team and, and to bring the store out from a negative, uh, from losing money to a positive. So I went in as, a, as a, just a person on the, on the side, just overseeing the books, kind of helping out build the team up. So I walked in, and the manager that was there, we were working great together at first. We, I thought that everything was going really well. We were seeing a big difference in the staff. The morale was coming up. We were changing the way we were doing things. But when we got a survey back, I noticed that all of, my, all of, all of the stuff that the, the employees were saying was negative towards me and positive towards this person. And I'm thinking, okay, there's a breakdown somewhere. Like, because I'm coming in extra early every day. I'm pouring into people. Um, but, and I'm seeing this, I'm seeing their attitude change, I'm working with people one-on-one, the stores change, the money uh, is going up, we're, we're in the positive now, but, the, but the, the feedback was all negative towards me and all positive towards this person, but this person wasn't doing anything. They were supposed to be leading the store, but they, they would show up late, they would, they would take an extra break, they were taking things from the store, and I didn't know this until I started to dig in. But I found out when I was working with this person, we would sit down, we would talk, we'd set a goal, we'd communicate together, we'd put our action plans in, we'd be in the meeting, we'd high five, yeah, this is great, let's go to work. And as soon as I would step out of the office, he would begin to cut me down. He would begin to say little tiny things that would, that would just kind of plant a seed in the hearts of the employees. You can't really trust him. He's not really one of us. He was someone that was brought in from the outside. He's not really doing what he's supposed to doing. We're just going to change for a little bit, and then once he's gone, we'll, I'll be running the store. I didn't know this was all happening until someone came and told me. He says, like, he has little meetings to kind of cut you down. So what did I do? I went in and I talked to him. I said, what are you doing, man? What, why are you doing this? I'm not really here for, for, this, for you personally. I'm here to help you get to the next level. I'm not here to, to take your position. I'm not even staying here. I'm only here for six months. I said, why do you feel so threatened? He says, well, I don't really want you here, and, and I think the people that you're talking to, they're not telling the truth. They're not telling the full truth. So we got to the point where we started to, to we, we agreed that we were not going to hurt each other. We were not going to cut each other down. We were just going to build the store up. So I leave, and a few months later, he continues to do this, and this, this is starting to weigh heavy on me, and I, I don't know if I, I, can, I can deal with this person. So I, I met with the owner of the restaurant, and he says, it's up to you. Figure out what to do. So I transferred him to another store. As soon as I transferred to him, under a month, the morale of that whole store changed, and we became the top, the top store in the market for sales. And it was just one person that was bringing that whole thing down. And we changed the conversation. We, I tried to deal with him the right way, but we needed some consequences. So we changed him to another restaurant. And then six months after that, I got promoted to go to Salt Lake City. So it was like a free trip. <laughs> but that was one of the most difficult seasons of my life, dealing with another person. And I, there were many days I'd come home to Laura and say, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. No more Big Macs. I, I can't do this. I can't deal with these people. And sometimes dealing with difficult people makes us want to give up. Makes us want to leave, uh, leave our business, leave our church, leave our, leave, sometimes you can't leave your family, but you want to get away from your family. Sometimes the kids want to run away and do their own thing. We will deal with difficult people in our lives. And it's super important to figure out what type of heart we're dealing with. Is it a wise heart? Is it a foolish heart? Well, the Bible speaks about one more 
heart. It's dealing with an evil person. With a wise person, or with wise people, we talk to them and give them resources, and you'll get a return. With foolish people, we stop talking to them about the problem and, because they're not listening, and we stop supplying resources because they're squandering them. Instead, we give them limits, and we give them consequences. And with evil, pe- evil people, we go into protection mode. Not helping mode when we're dealing with evil people. For some people, this is the biggest step to realize that there are people in the world who will hurt you. Not unintentionally, the way the foolish person would want to, but because these evil people actually want to hurt you. But it's true. There are some people who, who have a desire to hurt others and do destructive things. And with them, you have to go into protection mode. You have to protect your family. You have to protect your company. You have to protect your loved ones. And, and, and you protect anything that matters to you. They actually, there are people in this world that actually want to bring you down. Look at church history. We know that, that our church fathers went through persecution. Almost all, all of the apostles died a martyr's death, except for John, died a martyr's death because they were persecuted, because evil people didn't like their message, didn't like what they were saying, but they didn't give up. Does the Bible say anything about evil people? Proverbs, 2, or Proverbs 6, 12 through 16 says, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about his crooked speech and he winks his eye and signals with his feet and points with his finger with perverted heart, devices evil, continually sowing discord. Micah 2.1 says, Woe to those who devise, devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. 2 Thessalonians 3.2 says, And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, because not all have faith. Not all have faith. So how do you deal with an evil person? The traits of an evil person are this. They bring others down. They intentionally try to hurt you with words or objects. They delight in seeing others fail and will pro- promote the failings of another. They get excited for when other people fail. They share about how they had a hand in hurting someone else. They look for ways to re- create dissension in companies, families, and churches. They create and plot the downfall of others. They misalign the word of God. Did, did God really say that? Satan did that. They, impl- they implement their agenda. They envy, and sometimes they envy your position and will misrepresent you in front of others and promote themselves. If I were the leader, if I were the owner, if I was the wife, if I was the husband, if I was the pastor, I would do it this way, not like that. This is very difficult for some leaders to come to grips with. They think they can reason with anyone and finally get them on their side. But in that process, they get hurt. And many people who sit in our pews and are in our community and are in our families have been hurt by people really bad. And there's lots of scars in our audience, in our congregation. There are a lot of people who have gone through battles with people who have just literally almost took them out. And some people on a day-to-day basis want to just give up. They're losing hope because of the people that are around them. So what do you do? You protect Not everyone is for you. Not everyone is for your family. Not everyone is for your business. Not everyone is for your God. There are actually people who will hate your family. They will hate your business. They will hate your God. And they will come against you and they'll want to destroy you. Pastor Rick taught us a few weeks ago about false teachers. He says, here at this church, we're going to preach the truth and we're going to know the truth. So when that is presented, we're going to deal with it. And when we think about protecting, protecting doesn't mean run away. Protecting means doing the right thing, the godly way, to make sure that the people that we love, that we care about, the business that we own, the church that we have, is protected. Jesus says that we as shepherds need to protect our flock. We need to guard them. We need to get up and around them. We need to get out in front of them. We need to know their hearts and what's going on. We need to be in their lives. That's why we want to be a church that loves people, that is with people, that wants to pray with people. Not just people that, not just pastors that sit in their office all day. We just want to know, we want to be with the people so that we can protect. So when we know things are going on, there's a couple ways that we can recognize when there are people like this, this type of heart. One is they're visibly attacking you. They're coming against you. 
They're attacking your character, your marriage, and your family. They're acting in such a way that, they, that you know that this is intentional. These people do not like me. They don't like me. They don't like my family. They don't like our church. And what do you do with that? How do you deal with that situation? We'll give you three examples, and I'm going to move to my closing. The first thing you need to do in that situation is you got to pray. you got to pray. If I could say one thing to you today that you need to take away is never underestimate the power of prayer. Get on your face. Start praying. You can't, you, you're nervous. You don't know what to pray. Get a friend. We got lots of prayer warriors in this church. If you have something going on in your life, you got a situation that you feel that is overwhelming you, you get on your face, you get some people praying with you. Second thing you do is you protect yourself, your family, your business. If you're in danger, remove yourself from the situation. Remove yourself from the situation and get help. Use the resources you have to protect you. If it's something with your kids at the school, talk to the administration. If it's something in your business, talk to your board. If you don't have a board, talk to the police. If it's something going on in your spiritual life, talk to your pastors. Say, I need your help. We need to do this together. Pray, protect yourself, get help. There, there may be times when you are being ta- attacked and it's not visible. And the same guy that I gave the, the, the Dr. Henry Cloud says to know the difference between problems and patterns. Sometimes you're going to have people that make mistakes. And that's okay. People make mistakes. We can come back from mistakes. Even big mistakes. Even big mistake in a business. It, do, it doesn't mean that the business is going to go under. We can correct that. We can come alongside that. There'll be mistakes in marriage. And we believe in reconciliation. We believe don't give up. Get in. Come and pray and talk and let's build that marriage up. There will be mistakes. Mistakes are okay. But if these mistakes are continually happening, there could be a pattern that is forming to really take you out or take that person out. So lots of people make mistakes. A pattern exists when there are problems that, they do, not, that do not stand alone as isolated issues or occurrences. Instead, you can link many occurrences together to see that that person made a mistake on that big project because she didn't get organized or do the research. research. And this is just one example of many times when she has done the same or similar things. It's not a specific one-time problem. It's a pattern that we can recognize and now almost count on. It's recurring. If it is recurring, recurring, usually we want to come in and save the day, win that person to our side. But if they hate you, conversation and correction will not work. Not everyone will be for you. Not everyone will be for our church. And not everyone will be for our God. There will be wise people that you will have to deal with. There will be foolish people. And even people that cross, that even p- evil people you will cross paths with. I shared a little bit about what the Bible says about each of these people, what traits you can look for, and some application when dealing with difficult people. But don't forget, don't forget this one thing. If you're a follower of Christ, you have an all-knowing, all-powerful God on your side. And you're part of an everlasting kingdom. See, the church is the vehicle God has chosen to advance the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the plan for the planet. Everything else is just window dressing and will burn away. We received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything else is going to be shaken. According to the writer of Hebrews, everything else is going to be shaken. But the kingdom of God will not be shaken. And here we are doing the most important work The most important work is not being done at the Fortune 500 companies. It's not being done at the government level. It's not being done uh, in in the corporate area. The most important work is being done in the kingdom kingdom of God. And here's the kicker for this. You're a leader in it. You're a leader in the kingdom of God. Whether you're a business owner, a plumber, a graphic designer, or any other vocation where you earn a living, you're earning your income to empower you to do your real real calling, and that is to make disciples in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You are both called to grow in the likeness of Christ and help others who are called to grow in the likeness of Christ. Your job is invaluable. It's crucial. It's critical. It's key. It's vital. It's necessary. It's irreplaceable and all important. The work you do now and in the seasons to come will have generational impacts. 
We won't know those impacts until the new heaven and the new earth, but hear me on this. Kingdom impacts will always last. Your job won't last, your health won't last, your retirement won't last, but what you do now in this season and the next will last for eternity. So don't fear. Don't try to figure out every detail of every person and try to evaluate every word someone says. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Yes, I'm dealing with a hard person. Yes, I'm in a hard season. But I trust you, Lord. I trust in the plan that you have for my life. I trust in the season that you're pulling me through. Trust in the Lord and do not lean on your own understanding. You will deal with difficult people. You may even deal with evil people. And God will bring wise people into your life too. And it will be difficult. But seek the Lord. Pray. Get advice, protect, challenge, correct, train. And then pour a little faith on top of all of that because your God is with you and not against you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We just thank you for this day. We thank you that we can open up your word. Thank you that we have a, a series like that. How do we deal with difficult things, difficult people? Or I got a question to ask. It's been burning deep in my heart. I really, help me, pastor, to understand this. God, I thank you for our congregation. I thank you for the person that brought that question out that made me dig a little deeper in the last little bit, kind of looking at these situations. God, I just want to thank you for that. God, I want to thank you for what you're doing. You said that you will build your church, but in this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, you have overcome the world. So God, we just want to just testify today that we love you and that you are building your kingdom. We're going to praise you in spirit and truth right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. favorite line is build your kingdom here, let the darkness fear. Because I'm not going to fear because I'm in the kingdom. Amen. And so are you. You go into Google, type in dealing with difficult people. 13,800,000 responses in 0.72 seconds. A lot of people want to know how to deal with difficult people. But for the Christian, two things. Know your God and know the word. And fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. And if you don't know how to do that, I'm going to ask you to come back tonight as my brother Jim brings a message on that. Praise God. Amen. Have a blessed day.